10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Good afternoon. <coughs> Wowzers, what a start. I should have spoken. Good afternoon. The time is 1pm on Sunday the 10th of October and you're tuned in to the Sunday Lunch Show with me, Khalil Rouse, on Teachers Talk Radio. In today's show, the theme is Black History Month. I'll be asking some pertinent questions and getting really into it to discuss how we can keep it relevant and engaging in UK schools. As always, tune in and talk it out and I am live. Live from London. This is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw slash TT Radio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Good afternoon, people. And you know me, it's Khalil. Well, I say you know me. My name is Khalil Rouse. And you're tuning in to the Sunday Lunch Show on Teachers Talk Radio. And I don't think I've ever felt more rushed for a show than I, than I do today. If you follow me on Twitter, um, which is at Khalil, which is K-A-L-I-L underscore R91, you would have seen um, the kind of story of my morning. Um, and it's just meant that I've just not been as prepared for this show as I normally would have. I like to take my time. I like to set my stuff up get my screens ready and I like to chill. I like to have some food, get some fluid on board um, and then sit down and not feel panicked or rushed before jumping into the live studio. But today, boy, today has been a different turn of events. Why, you ask? Well, the main reason is my partner um, had to run some errands this morning, urgent errands that basically take priority over I'm going to say over my show, which means she has to do them. And if it means I can't do my show, then so be it. So what it meant was um, I was on daddy duties this morning. And the issue we've got, of course, is my little one. He's very, very young. He's about 16, well, not even about, he's about 16 months. Um, and he's fairly routine when it comes to naps. So he'll be awake for, I don't know, like if, whatever time he wakes up, he can usually stay awake for about three to four hours. And then he's able to go down for a nap. So I had to then think, right, okay, well, now it's just me and him. I can't have him awake during the show. That just won't work. And just as a caveat, just as a kind of preamble, if he wakes up during this show, if he wakes up during this show, I'm going to have to cut the show. Or I'm not going to bring him on the mic. I can't do that. As entertaining as it may be for the listeners, I can't do that to myself and I can't do it to the show. I can't put the little man on the radio to hear him talking about bah, 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 and sheep, sheep, and bah, and moo, and all that nonsense. Car, car. That's all he says these days. I can't put him on the radio talking about cars and bees. Um, it's, not, it's not what we're here for. So if he does wake up, um, I may have to cut this show short. Welcome to those that are already in the live studio. Thank you for being so punctual. Lorna, I see you in the studio and I see you've actually followed me on Twitter as well. That cheeky plug worked. That is probably the first time that a cheeky plug of my Twitter um, handle has worked. So Lorna, thank you. Welcome to the, to the, to the, I say the family. It's not really a family. It's just me and my followers. And I talk about them like I've got loads. I haven't got loads. Either way, the ramble goes on. So yeah, so my morning, the little one, if you saw on Twitter, so the little one, we had a late night yesterday. We were at a family function. Um, and it was a late one. We didn't get home till past midnight. And then silly me thought, right, do you know what? We put him to bed at midnight. He slept in the car, of course. But we put him to bed at 
just gone midnight thinking, no chance. This kid's going to be, no chance he's going to wake up early. He's going to have a nice little lie and get the memo and wake up at a nice tidy nine o'clock. That was a, that was a plan. We communicated this plan to him before he went to bed. We were transparent. We said to him, little man, listen, have a lie in, take some time. We've had a late night. And we put him down and he gave us a signal that he understood. 7 a.m. this morning. Dada, mama, dada, mama. Tapping on the bed. Dada, mama, mama, dada. I look at the time, 7 a.m. And I'm thinking, there is no way I can have him up at 7 a.m. this morning because he won't, he will be, he'll, he'll want to sleep at about 11, 10, if we're lucky, 10, 11. If I put him down at 11, he'll be up by 1, one thirty, right in time for my show. So it couldn't be done. I was like, nah, little man, you got to go back to sleep. So I go back into the room and he's fairly well trained. I can't, let me not lie. I'm going to, I'm going to toot our own horns. He's fairly well trained. He understands stuff. So I go down and he listens to me. He understands when I change my tone of voice, he gets it. So I walk into the room and I look at him like I do with my students. I just look at him and I think, big man, you should not be awake right now. And I look at him and he looks back at me. Dada. I said, little man, it's night, night time. Dada. It's night, night time. Dada. <laughs> it's night, night time. So I whispered this about six times, just going, it's night, night time. It's night, night time. It's night, night time. And eventually, this was, I was actually quite surprised. He kind of looks at me and has this expression of, and then he slowly drops to his knees and then essentially just falls on his face. He just essentially just falls on his face and he starts to breathe heavily. And I'm thinking, by Jove, by golly, by gosh, I thought we've done it. Um, so then I kind of tiptoe out the room. I get back into bed and I jump on Twitter to brag about how well-trained my son is. Instead of just getting some more sleep. That's what I should have done. But instead, I go, go on to Twitter and start bragging about how well-trained my 16-month-year-old is. Welcome to those entering the live studio. Um, you're listening to Teachers Talk Radio, by the way. But I'm just talking about my own morning. Just to give you some contextual background as the room fills up. So either way, back to the story. So I get into bed and I jump on Twitter. And I start tweeting about how, how, wonderful, how wonderful it's been to train my son to go back to sleep. Just as I'm about to snooze, all I hear, of course... Is dada, mama, dada, mama, dada, 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 mama. And I'm thinking, for God's sake. So I roll out, well, I give it some time. And I always give him a little bit of time just to see maybe he's going to put himself back to sleep. And he, he doesn't. So I get out of bed again. And I go back to him. I say, little man, I thought I explained the T's and C's. I thought I was clear of my expectations, just like I'm in school. And I thought, I've, I've explained you what needs to happen. You just follow instructions. So I, I kneel down beside him again. I don't pick him up. I refuse to pick him up because that sends mixed messages for all you parents out there. If you want your son or daughter to sleep, don't start picking them up. Keep them in their cot. Either way. Um, so I go back down to him. And I say, little man, it's night, night time. It's night, night time. It's night, night time. And he looks at me. And I say, it's night, night time. And I say a good few, about four or five different more times. And again, begrudgingly, he kind of just drops his knees, falls on his face and starts breathing heavily. I, again, I'm tweeting this whole time because I might as well keep guys. I like doing story time on Twitter. It keeps people involved. So then, yep, yeah, back to bed. And this time, lo and behold, it actually been worked. And he went to sleep and he went to sleep for another hour and a half, roughly. Um, and then woke up at about, I think woke up about nine. Yeah. I had no, I had lies. He, he was still asleep at about nine, nine thirty, and I had to go wake him up. 
And just before this show, just before this show, he'd been awake for about three hours and a bit. And I said, it's night, night time. And he didn't cry or complain. He just kind of trotted over to the bedroom. I put him down and he's asleep just in time for the show. So here we are, people. Here we are. That is why I'm able to do this show. But if he does wake up partway through the show and you hear me having to, him to dash off, I will have to cut the show, unfortunately, because I'm not bringing him on the airways. But we are here. We are live and direct. Let's run the intro one more time and let's get into the main body of the show. Live from London. This is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Good afternoon for the second time. It's now 1.09 on Sunday, the 10th of October, 2021. And you're tuned in to the Sunday Lunch Show with me, Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. In today's show, I'm talking about Black History Month in UK schools specifically. How do we keep it engaging and relevant? How do we ensure it's not tokenistic? I'll be love, well, I would love to hear your thoughts. Tune in and talk it out. And I am live. Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw slash TT Radio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Right, cool. As I said in the introduction, we're talking about what well, I am talking about Black History Month today. Um, and I'd love for people to get involved. And I'd love even more so for callers. If you want to call in at any point, this is a live talk show. At the bottom of the Podbean screen, there's a little grey phone. If you press that grey phone, you can call into the live studio. I know we've got Mao CPD in the room. Welcome. We've got Yasmin in the room. T Crow 42071. No idea who you are, but thank you for joining. We've also got Lorna Sobia. Um, and whoever else is listening via Twitter, maybe you're listening on the, on the Podbean app. Sorry, maybe you're listening via Twitter, might be listening via YouTube, might be listening back. And if you want to ever listen back to any of my shows or other shows, there are loads and loads of shows. You just have to head to www.ttradio.org forward slash listen back. And then you can, there's a little search bar. You can search for any of the host names and you can get all our shows. Um, you can search for topics and then maybe you'll find if you put some buzzwords in there you'll find all the shows that contain those buzzwords in their description um, if you jump on spotify you'll find all our shows there as well still find it fairly crazy that i'm on spotify and lo and behold students at school have found out that i do this show i don't know how many people fellow hosts in the room whether any of your students or former students have also found out you're doing these shows um, it's interesting. They tell me I am a host on a teacher talk radio show like I'm supposed to be surprised. I say, yes, I am. And then that's usually the end of it. Because I think they're expecting me to be like, oh, how did you find me? Or something like that. But um, I just make it really nonchalant. And I say, yeah, I am. I talk about all things teaching. If you want to listen up, if you want to listen, please do. I don't think it'll be any of any interest to you, but go do you, mate. And then that's usually the end of it. That kind of um, placates their um, their interest in the whole thing because they realize that I don't care if they know. So if you're listening and then my kids, get your homework done and I'll see you on Monday. Um, either way, so today, I'm talking about Black History Month. And as we all know, listening, I'm sure you're aware, if you're listening from the UK, Black History Month takes place in October. I am in the UK, that is. I'm not going to profess and act like I am some beacon of all things Black History Month in terms of knowledge. 
Um, it's just something, of course, I'm very interested in and being a teacher in schools is something I've interacted with and been a proponent of in schools for a large part of my career, especially when I've kind of gone into the more senior roles in school as opposed to um, being a kind of a teacher without a TLR. So a teacher without a learning, whoa, teaching and learning responsibility. I never know how to phrase what you guys call. And then please message in the chat. What do you, if you are a teacher in the UK, what do you guys call a teacher who doesn't have any additional responsibilities? Because I hate using the word just. I hate that. So genuinely in the chat, what do you call teachers who don't have any additional responsibilities? They teach. Uh, that's what they do. They teach. No additional, like they're not a head of department. They're not an LP. They're not a senior leader. They are a teacher. And even now I keep thinking about the word just, and I'm deliberately not saying the word just because I feel like that diminishes them. They're on the front line. And I've got so much respect for people that teach full timetables, five, six lessons a day, because I, I have three lessons a day and it's a struggle. It's a struggle for me, boy. Um, I've got obviously additional responsibilities, but what do you guys call them? Genuine question. Because I don't know what main skill. Yeah, so it says teachers. It's true though. But the thing is, but you need to differentiate between, but your heads of department are also teachers. So I get what you mean. You have to call them teachers. But I'm talking about someone who's not got an additional responsibility. Yeah, main scale teachers. I think that's what I go for as well, Sobia. Um, I call them main scale teachers. But then, yeah, I think, yeah, main, Mal calls them main scale teachers, which I guess is a little little Swedish spin on main scale. Um, <laughs> Mal calls them main scale teachers, which um, as a, love the Swedes. So do I. Best form of, of potato. Um, anyways, so we're talking about, I'm going to talk about Black History Month. And I do wonder what's kind of like, what's going on in your schools for it? It's an entire month. Do we do, does your school do things for the entire month? Is it the kind of thing where I know a lot of schools probably do assemblies, plural maybe? Maybe it's just one assembly. Um, I do fear. Um, I do fear sometimes. Welcome, Miss McMaths. Lovely for you to join us. One person I interact with quite a lot on Twitter. Um, I do wonder what schools are doing these days. Um, because, yeah, UK Black History Month has been around for decades. And I do wonder, and I hope that it's not becoming kind of like on uh, the TT Radio Twitter page. I said it's not coming. I wonder if it's coming tokenistic in some schools. I hope not. But I do imagine if you never actually make a conscious effort to keep it refreshed and actually consciously think, right, how can I make sure this Black History Month um, celebration or celebrations are markedly different to last year's, keeping kids on their toes? Are we telling them new things? Are we making it always about history in terms of like decades back? Or are we talking about modern day people making history? I do wonder what people are doing in schools to consciously keep it engaging and relevant. Because the last thing you want is it to be like, oh, here's another Black History Month um, assembly and a little bit on tutor time or whatever else. Because in my opinion, and I don't know if you guys agree with me, um, surely want to get to a point where in schools especially, we don't have to have a Black History Month because it's all fully integrated into the curriculum. And we're always just talking about Black history and we've normalised it to a point where we realise that Black history is part of UK history and we just, we've got a curriculum that not only deals with, not only reflects Black history or covers some form of Black history. Obviously, you can't do all of Black history. You can't do all of history. Um, we have a curriculum not only represents Black history, but other histories of Asian communities and so on and so forth, not just kind of the white British history. And we are moving to that, that situation in a lot of schools. And it's nice to see. And I hope we get to a point where 
of course, we can still have the month, but it doesn't feel like the only time we ever speak about Black history is during October. We hope. I do wonder. I feel like I'm out of the loop a little bit with schools. I don't teach in a in a kind of full school. I teach in a growing school. Um, we've only got like three year groups. So I do wonder what's happening in, when, in those larger schools. Let me know what's going on in your school, what's happened. Um, greetings, says Miss McMaths. Miss McMaths also saying, your tutor group's assembly will be about celebrating Black British artists. Nice. Giving them a platform. I'm assuming you mean modern artists, um, people making music these days, as opposed to the um, the ones from back in the day, as they say. Um, I do wonder what people are doing. It's nice to bring in music. Music's an integral part of Black history and also just Black culture these days. It infiltrates, as everyone knows, it infiltrates a lot of the, the culture of the young folk these days, a lot of how they, they interact and speak and communicate and the music they listen to. Of A large proportion of the young people, the younger generations are influenced by Black culture and... We all know that, ah, oh, who remembers that word? I used to hate this word. Urban was a word that was around when I was growing up. Um, and it just meant, it meant black, but they just, I just got the impression they didn't want to call it black. I don't know why, but there was a bit of a taboo around um, being like a, if you were a black radio station or whatever else you play, predominantly music made by black people, people didn't like to call it black music because people, I remember the argument being, why would you call it black music? It's not just for black people. No one said, no one said that just because you re you call it black music, that it's only for black people. That is a bunch of nonsense. It is a strange argument. I always found it strange because I feel like the same argument isn't attached to like Asian music. And I know Asia is a huge continent. So to try and narrow down its, in its music into just saying Asian is nonsense, I know. But let's go for, I don't know, Indian music stereotypically Bangra. I know there's a lot more Indian music out there than just Bangra. But if I said, oh yeah, we got, we're gonna bring some Indian music. I don't think anyone, and it, if it became mainstream, I don't think anyone ever say, oh, we can't call it Indian music because it's not just, it's not just Indian people that listen to it. But that argument's always been floated around when I was younger about why we couldn't call it black music or shouldn't call it black music because it made it seem like if you weren't black, you couldn't listen. It's a bunch of nonsense. And I was saying on Twitter that this is going to, this show for me is going to end up being a bit of a TED talk because I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't know where I'm going to go. I've got no scheduled guests. It's just me and my mic and talking about things I'm very passionate about. So boy, I love a caller so I could bounce off. But if not, listen, I'm more than capable of rambling on for 18 pages. Um, but there's some people in the comments. Who's this? Oh, wonderful. So yeah, Miss McMass will say modern artists, Arlo Parks, Dave, Georgia Smith, Lady Leisha, Stormzy. I'm going to be honest, Arlo Parks, I couldn't name a single Arlo Parks song. I don't know. I couldn't name a single tune. Dave, I'm a massive fan of. Um, Georgia Smith, yeah, not too bad. Lady Leisha, she's all right. And Stormzy's a, he's a boss. Um, welcome. Oi, is that Leon? Leon, welcome to the conversation. Leon, you've missed me rant to start with, but welcome. It's light and lovely to see you in the chat. Um, so let's get into it. As always, I've got a couple articles about black history in the UK um, and about Black History Month, a few ideas. It would be great to hear people call in and what it means to them as a, as a black adult or as a non, even more importantly, what about if you're not black? Well, how do you deal with Black History Month when kids, I don't know, controversially, what if you're a, a non-black teacher and a non-black student asks you, why do we even have a Black History Month? How do you answer that? Genuine question. And people help me out. I'm not the font of all knowledge. I speak like I am, I, I am sometimes. I'm very impassioned, but I definitely am not. Genuine question. 
if a non-black student asked a non-black teacher, why have we got Black History Month? I do wonder, I'm sure, listen, we've got millions of people in the UK. That question has definitely been asked of a non-black teacher by a non-black kid. I do wonder how they respond. I do, I do wonder how they respond. I feel like if I ever had to answer why we have a Black History Month, and I'm thinking, maybe I haven't. I don't feel like I've ever been asked why. I feel like everyone just kind of accepts that it's there. But if you were asked, so this is a question for you guys in the chat. Um, I want to see what your guys answer, what your answer is. If you were asked the question, why do we have a Black History Month? What would your answer be? And now I've put myself on the spot, I know, to think what my answer would be. And I would say, let me just give myself some, do you know in an interview when you have to give yourself some pause time and not just ramble on straight away? What would I say? I would say that throughout large periods of history, and not all history, just for the record, large periods of history, um, because I don't want to ever, I don't like the idea when you talk to kids, you're like, throughout history, black people have been um, racially um, mistreated. Throughout their whole history, their entire history, like it's nonsense, it's not been the entire history. It's, it's, it's in relative terms, more recent than you think. Either way, so mine would be um, throughout a proportion of history, um, there was obviously uh, a time when a lot of black people were mistreated and marginalized and there was racism. Let's just bring that word in. And that happened. And, and the, the, the impact of that is, has been felt and has rippled through the decades. It's rippled through the decades. The, the, from generation to generation, um, marginalized treatment, maybe racist ideals and so on and so forth have been passed down. And it happens, not by everyone to everyone, but by certain people to certain other people. What that's meant is in education in particular, and also in like the wider media and everything else, there is a gap. And there has been for decades of representation, uh, positive representation of black people, mainly because there haven't been that many black people in positions of power. So the agenda hasn't been there. So then we get to a point where we think, you know what, well, hold on, we can't keep going through decades upon decades upon decades of not celebrating positive contributions that black people have made to not just the UK, but to the world, because for years upon years upon years, no one's really spoken about it because it's never really been their priority. And I always keep saying it's not been their priority. If they cared about it, they would have done it. But why would they? They wouldn't care about it. We're talking decades ago. Why would they care about it? It's not their, it's not their, it's not their priority. Either way, so that's happened for decades and decades and decades. Um, so it was decided that there needed to be some time dedicated to actually to celebrating the positives and the positive history of an entire people. And then US started it. I can't remember what year it was started in the US. And then it was kind of the baton was passed, well, not even passed, shared with the UK in I don't know when it was, 1970-something, I believe, around that kind of time. Because it needs to happen. Because at the moment there's a lot of kind of warped opinions and this is held by black people and non-black people alike warped op opinions of what black history is warped opinions of black people not contributing to many discoveries throughout time warped opinions that um black people have always kind of been uncivilized or always have been um under the kind of control in the kind of colonial situation if you only learn about colonialism and slavery you get the you end up going through education 
thinking that black people were just born into slavery from when we was when we were from from way back ADs from the two ADs and whatever else and the BCs and everything else and we were just slaves and that's it popped out slaves like that's why you you have that impression sometimes and this is a very long winded answer by the way but this is what I this is the kind of thing I would say to someone um, if they asked me why we have a Black History Month. And I did say on Twitter, this would end up being a TED Talk. I know Leon follows me on Twitter and some other people uh, maybe in the room follow me on Twitter and everything else. This may end up being a TED Talk. But this is my kind of perspective. And I haven't even scrolled down to see the comments. I don't know if I'm going to be um, cussed, lauded, disagreed with. Who knows? Let's find out. But that would, that would be my long-winded answer as to why we have one. And if you are listening back um, as a Black person, non-Black person, whatever else, any creed, um, that's my response. And if you agree with it, then maybe that could be your response as well. Because I think it's the kind of response you can have as, I didn't, doesn't matter if I'm black, the way I said it, it can be said by anyone. Um, yeah. I'm going to pause and let that one sink in. Let me see what people are, oh wow, there's a whole bunch of, there are some, con, there's some um, comments in the chat. So we've got Miss McMaths in response to my question about Arlo Parks has said that Arlo Parks is a new artist raising awareness of some artists that folks don't know about. I hear that. You're going to raise awareness for me. I might even Google. I might even Google Arlo Parks to find out what tunes they do. Um, Sobia says it's about highlighting black excellence. Um, and even that, oh, so many people are like, oh, I, I listen, I'm willing to, I share a lot on my show. I won an award when I was younger. Um, and it was, award, it was an award for specifically black children who had achieved very well in their GCSEs and A-levels and whatever else. I'm not going to bait up the entire name of the award, but it's not difficult to find if you just Google. Either way, I won this award. And I remember um, when I won it, I was in school. I remember going back to school. And I can't remember if it was a teacher or some kids or maybe my peer groups. They were like, oh, why does it have to be an award for only black people, man? That kind of thing. Like, why? why that's racist, man. That kind of vibe. And I was like, oh, my. I said, you, uh, I can't remember what my response was. But that people always seem to find offense when someone seems to always find offense when you make any kind of award or program or initiative for solely black people um, because everyone then everyone just gets up in arms. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> How dare you make it only black people? Um, get over it is my answer. Get over it. We need to uplift our own sometimes because no one has done it for us for years. So we need to uplift our own. Get over it. Either way. Um, so yeah, Sobis and highlighting black excellence. Here, here. Leon said, because history that is taught doesn't include black people and the impact on Britain specifically, or especially agreed. The current history syllabus, like the official, the official syllabus, it covers a little bit um, of black history. But a lot of it is black US history when I was in school. I don't know what it is these days. Do they still learn about civil rights in, in the history curriculum? I, I genuinely don't know. I remember that's all the case for me. And the first time I ever saw black people in my textbooks was to do with slavery. That was uplifting. Um, and the next time I saw it was US civil rights when they were being um, abused and treated or prejudicially treated and there was racism and blah, blah, blah. That was, that was also very uplifting. Not. So yeah, so then Leon's saying, because history that is taught doesn't include black people and their impact because they're not, no one's, it's not been anyone's agenda for years to think about, oh, maybe we should include some people that don't just all look the same and actually actively seek out people that are more reflective of our diverse community, especially in the big cities. I know it's not as diverse elsewhere in the UK, but in the big cities, it's taken a while for people to think, oh yeah, maybe we should actually make everything a bit more, a bit more representative of uh, the diverse place that we live in called the UK. 
maybe. Anyways, uh, TSCW said he liked uh, liked the show. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, then we've got Leon's going on. He's saying, I feel like most of black history we're given is through the perspective of black America. Yeah, like I was just saying. Everyone knows about his, I think he typed this before I said it, but we're just in the same, same sphere. Everyone knows about the civil rights movement in the US, but couldn't name many of the folks that were part of the civil rights race relations in the UK. Um, yeah, agreed. And... It's one of those things. I've, I remember doing, I did an assembly on it, I think, last year. And I'm more than happy to profess ignorance. And I was never taught. You don't, you don't know what you don't know. So I've never been taught about, um, now here's my ignorance, Bristol bus boycotts is one thing that I only found out about later on in my academic life. Never, never learned about it in school, ever. Um, the only thing, like Leon was saying, I did find out about Black America. But Black stuff, the, the civil rights kind of race relation in the UK wasn't part of the... Um, wasn't part of the curriculum. I do wonder, I guess it's kind of like a cynical theory, is that a deliberate thing to to make sure the uh, the UK doesn't come off badly or white people specifically don't come off badly? I do wonder in the UK. Hmm. That's my that's my theory on it. Anyways, um, so then, yeah, Miss McMaths has said that Black History Month for me is about amplifying the stories of black folk that aren't always told. I prefer to talk about the lesser known folk most folk know about Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks. Agreed. I agree with you. I'll say it on Twitter. Um, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm, it's like I'm bored of it, but people know about Martin Luther King and people know about Rosa Parks because their bait is the kind of colloquial term. Very obvious, very well known. Their, their contributions are, cannot be diminished. But at the same time, let's raise the platform and the profile of people that people don't know about who may not have had the platform in the, I don't know, the 1990s or the 2000s are still doing great work. Can I name loads of them? Genuinely? No. I have to do some research on my own. Isn't that a shame? I have to do my own research on my own to find out about black people that have done great things in the UK. Either way, we move on. Um, yeah, so Mal, yeah, this, this is the thing. I'm glad Mal's challenged me on it because I said I'm, I'm going to profess ignorance on this. Um, yeah, so then Mao saying that's the service of history teachers. Things have changed great in the last two years. I hope they have. I hope they have. And I'm genuinely like, I only know, I only know what I know. Um, and I can only speak from the perspective of my school, where there has been a conscious effort to make sure that the history curriculum is more diverse. Um, but is that the case in every school? I don't know. I'm willing to bet it's not. Um, and in a school where the community isn't diverse, I don't think it'll be their priority. So why would they do it? Um, but I don't know. This is a genuine thing. I'm willing, I love, I don't mind being challenged on it. Um, I can't actually remember what I said. I'd have to listen back and hear what I said. If I said something that's offended people, I apologize. Well, never my intention. Um, but I just know that when I look at history curriculums, they, they, yeah, they weren't reflective from my own experience. And it'd be good to hear from other people who've got young kids of teenage age, even more so about what they're learning in school, primary schools, what they're learning. Um, I don't know the answer. But I do wonder how much change is happening. I hope there's a lot of change, but I don't teach history. I'm not in those circles. Um, so then we've got, ah, so yeah. So Leon said, so Mao said in the comments that things have changed great in the last two years. Leon's responding saying not at his kind of 12 or 13 year old school. So that's in the secondary school. He's saying that according to, as far as he's aware, not much has changed there. Uh, Mao's saying when I taught history, there was very little resource on black British history. Um, but now we have a lot more books and resources. Correct. Yeah, I'm aware there's a lot more resources out there. And I guess it's just got, it's just got to be a, it's got to be a conscious decision. You need to change the status quo. Um, so status quo is comfortable for many and it takes a few vocal people 
to say, you know what, it's time to change the status quo. And it takes, and it, like I said, I, I know it's not happening in every school, but I hope that it is happening in a lot of schools to make sure. And it's not just about Black British history. We need to make sure it is included because we've been, the Black British experience has been deliberately marginalised, but all history, more reflective and a deliberate decision needs to be made. Um, and then, oh, here we go. Indeed. So Leon's saying, I would argue that I'm glad they haven't because the teachers delivering it, having a proper training. Um, we could go on about this for, for hours upon end. You can't just, I agree, you can't just create resources and shove them into schools and say, get on with it because you're going to end, you're going to have stuff taught by people who didn't study it themselves and haven't been trained on it. And when you talk about um, kind of any kind of sensitive histories and everything else, there definitely needs to be some training of sorts. I don't know what the training would look like, um, but I think people just can't be shoved into the classroom, given a, a textbook that goes through black British, black British history and say, teach this, because that doesn't work either. Um, I don't have all the answers. I'm just here as a platform for you guys to discuss and debate and bounce ideas off. Um, Mao's saying it doesn't help that curriculum time has reduced dramatically in the last 20 years, of course, but my retort is always the same. If it matters, people will make time for it. And especially in the time like key stage three um, and primary schools, you've got more flexibility. I know you're more, it's more rigid when you get to the GCSE age because you need to, of course, get them in, in line for, get them prepared for their GCSE exams and the, the course content is the course content. But key stage three, there's no SATs anymore. There's no, there's no exams. So there is more flexibility there. Primary schools, there's a whole load of flexibility there. So I guess that I get there is limited curriculum time. Um, but if it mattered to the school or to the leaders, they would make time for it. I, I, I'm, I'm of that opinion, personally. I don't have to say personally. I already said it was my opinion. Anyways, um, and then Leon said he was a, oh, right, he knows this as he was at a parent governor meeting and he brought it up. Um, Miles responded, true. No idea what you're responding true to. <laughs> it was a while ago. I'm trying to keep up. And we've got Miss McMaths is saying, my school does well too. They do a 12-week series of Black history, raising awareness about a range of topics. For example, Mary Seacole, um, Oluada Equiano, The Windrush, other topics that she can remember off the top of her head. I, as I do in lesson, I, I apologize if I mispronounced your name, <laughs> but I'm not sure how to pronounce that one. And they don't do it in October. Nice. Okay, fair enough. Um, Graham comes in. Graham Column, just listen to your show, mate. Love to have you in the studio. Graham Column saying that problems always come down to lack of training, which is lack of funding, which reflects it's not a priority up high. Correct. It is about priorities, isn't it? Like it is, um, it's about priorities. And it's the more, it's one of those things like when you get a seat at the table, and this is from when we're talking about any kind of diversity, when it's, whether it's kind of diversity to do with gender, sexuality, race, as soon as someone gets a seat at the table, priority and more than one person from different kind of diverse backgrounds get seats at the table, priorities shift because finally they're being challenged by people that they consider to be their kind of professional equals on issues that they may never have thought about or if they did think about it, put it to the wayside or put it to the side because it wasn't their priority. And for that, I, I don't blame them, if I'm honest. Like, if it's never been your experience, if you grew up in a place that wasn't diverse, you went to a school that wasn't diverse, you went to university that wasn't diverse, you work in a place that's not diverse, you're not gonna get to you're not gonna get to a position of power in that or in that in that um whatever sector, and then suddenly have an epiphany and think, whoa, we need to make it more diverse. You're not gonna think it because it's never been your experience. So I don't blame them, but I think when they are finally challenged on it 
those that kind of still put the shutters down and kind of act like it's not an issue. They're the people that I'm going to blame. But those that are just blissfully ignorant because they've just never come across it genuinely. I went to uni with a lot of people who, who would never have interacted with any people that weren't white. Like, I'm not surprised. But I think when the, when the issue is brought to you and the evidence is placed in front of you, the indisputable evidence is placed in front of you of whatever issue, to then turn a blind eye and act like it's not a thing and act like, I don't know what they'd say, then I'm going to have an issue with you. And then we've got some problems. But the, the, the scene is slowly, slowly changing. Slowly, slowly changing. You've got so many well-educated people from all different creeds and cultures coming out of the best unis and the best whatevers, getting into the top, the top sectors and whatever you want to call it, ready to make some changes. And I'm, and I'm so encouraged by it. There's so many people. I'm not just talking about black people now. I'm talking about loads, every different creed and, and background and DNA and whatever you want to call it, are getting into positions of influence. And slowly but surely, change has been made. So it is nice. This is a TED talk. I feel like I'm on a, or give me a, listen, give me a platform. Someone get me on stage somewhere. I'll talk about this all day. Um, anyways, so going through the comments, Mao's saying, yeah, dealing with controversial and sensitive topics, CPD is essential. Agreed. There needs to be training. But then, and then, but then again, the leaders need to consciously think, right, we need to train our people and then they need to outsource most likely. There's no point in doing like in internal training if you haven't got the, the people with the necessary qualification and experience. You need to outsource that. Um, and then, yeah, Miss McMaster was continuing her comments saying that her school does a big chunk on black history, not in October. And it's just a great way of showing that black history is important. Graham agrees with Mal and Mal agrees with Leon. And we're all back to me. I have so many articles loaded up and I haven't even opened them yet. I can't believe it is 138. That is mad. That is absolutely crazy. Right, we are, we've got, we are nearly halfway through the show. On the other side, I'm actually going to go to my tabs and go through the articles I found on this because I, I opened the show thinking, whoa, I'm going to have to talk to myself for an hour and a half and I need something to bounce off. But luckily, you guys in the comments have been bouncing and interacting, which is good. I like to see the disagreements, the agreements, the arguments, the debates. It's lovely to see. Um, lovely, lovely, lovely to see. What we're going to do, we're going to take a quick break um, for the news. And on the, on the other side of the news, I'm actually going to talk about the stuff that I loaded up. Or we'll go off on a tangent again and talk about whatever you guys divert me to in the chat. This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News. This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. According to a report for BBC News, Inspectors have stated that schools in Wales must improve teaching of Welsh and Black, Asian and minority ethnic histories and cultures. The new curriculum in Wales, set to be rolled out in secondary schools in 2023, requires that all children are taught about racism and BAME communities. The report which was released by Eston and commissioned by the Welsh Government said that teachers needed more professional support. It found that schools in multicultural areas were better at teaching the histories of BAME individuals and communities. Claire Morgan, 
Chief Inspector for Eston said, the Black Lives Matter movement renewed focus on anti-racism education and the teaching of black, Asian and minority ethnic history and culture. She added, it's clear that more needs to be done to ensure that teaching and learning represents all of Wales's communities and their international connections. Eston did, however, find many examples where schools were effectively teaching Welsh history and the contributions of ethnic minority individuals in their curriculum. In England, the Education Secretary, Nadim Sahawi, has confirmed that masks could return to schools, but that there will be no return of bubbles. Nadim Sahawi told Sky News, So the good news is that, and thanks to the brilliant teachers and support staff and parents and children, 99% of schools are open. Attendance has gone up. The last set of figures I looked at was about 90%. That will obviously fluctuate depending on infection rates, but my priority is to protect education and keep those schools open. He added that he had contingency plans, including the wearing of masks, but said, I don't want to return to bubbles because actually you saw the fall off in attendance, which really does harm mental well-being and mental health of children. This has been your daily education news briefing. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Diana Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people-pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course? Or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the Assertive Leadership and the Emotionally Intelligent Leader courses? All MALCPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. Hello and welcome back. You're listening to the Sunday Lunch Show on Teachers Talk Radio with me, 
myself, Mr. Khalil Rouse. Um, thank you if you're still in the studio. I know that you just listened to the, the news and also listened to uh, some words from our sponsors. Shout out to Mal, heard your, your advert. And also, I did also notice a little reggae twang in one of the adverts. I enjoyed that. I was doing a willy bounce. Um, and I've just realized, if you know what willy bounce is, you may think I was doing something very inappropriate. I was not. It's a type of dance <laughs> that involves your hands. Um, if, you, if you did wonder what it was, Google it. You'll find out what it is. As long as you go onto YouTube, or even better on Spotify, you'll find out what it is. Um, if you've never heard of it, it may sound inappropriate. It's not. It's a it's a good dance. Anywho, moving on. Um, I don't want to go down the the kind of tangent that Graham that Graham went down in his show when he was talking about. Uh, I'm not going to talk about it, but <laughs> ended up talking about some some interesting things. When you, there's a problem with live with live radio, man. You can go wherever you want and no one can stop you. There's no one in the studio giving that kind of signal of, you need to cut it, you need to stop because you could just talk about whatever. And then it's not until the show finishes and you're like, ah, do you know what, I should I went a bit left there. So probably, <laughs> I didn't know you were still in the studio, Graham. Oh man, that was so fun. That was so funny. It was so funny. This 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 platform is so funny, man. Cheers, Mr. Rogers. You brought us all together. This is a highlight. Highlight. I always miss the show when I don't do it um on a Sunday. And I don't even know why I find it so funny. I'm just talking to myself most of the time. And then every now and again we get some great discourse. Anyways, let's get back to the point. Um that's a tune, isn't it? Is that a tune? Yeah, it is. What song is that? Help me out, please. I just said, let's get back to the point. And I went, Dudum. first one in the chat wins. Go. First in the chat, what tune is that, please? No one's coming in. Wow, no one. Uh, is it literally just going to be me up there? No, not that tune. <laughs> no, no. Oh, my word. I've, this has been poor. This has been poor teacher-led um poor teacher activity just then the tune sorry guys so what i said was no no oh man they're all just they've misinterpreted the whole thing so i said let let us get back to the point and then i went that was the song reference what came after was some musical background that was supposed to accompany you guys thinking about what song it was but the actual song reference was, let me get back to the point. That might not actually be the words. Maybe that's why I've just made a massive error. I thought I was singing um, the start of Blooming. Yes, exact. There we go. Right. My God. There we go. There we go. <laughs> right. We get there eventually. I love that everyone thought I was doing the countdown song. That was not. We're not going to. Should we name that song on Teach Talk Radio? Anyone done a name that song on Teach Talk Radio? That would be an app. Would that be a first? I think that would be a first on Teach Talk Radio. We may do that because that just sounds like a whole bunch of fun. Um, it'll be completely not in tune with what we're supposed to do, but it would be very, very fun. And it'll just mean that I get to, I get to sing a little bit on the radio. Should I do one? Let me think. <clears throat> No, I can't think. If you've got any any ideas, DM me on Twitter and we can do it by the end of the show. We'll do a name that tune. So here we go. If you wanna if you wanna get involved on name that tune, you got any ideas, it needs to be a well-known song that I know. Um, and then I can sing a little part of it. But yeah, if you've got any ideas for for name that tune, send me a DM on Twitter 
and then we'll do it at the end of the show. But you've just, well, you can't put it in the chat, Sobi. I did say DM me for a reason because nobody put it in the blooming chat and then everyone just see it. I can do that one. They'll be like, what you want? That's one. Is that the one? That's the one, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, that that would have been my <laughs> that would have been that, that would have been my clue for that one, and then we'll do a winner, first one to get it. But yeah, if you got any ideas, send me a DM on Twitter. Um, not low key, Graham. Listen, if you listen, not low key at all. I can I can sing. I can just I can sing. I don't sing anymore. I used to do a bit of singing um, when I was younger. Um, but yeah, so maybe maybe there's like if, if there's any um. Any uh, producers listening? I don't know if you're listening back on the on 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 Spotify. If you do want a thirty-plus-year-old uh, singer to break into the market past his time, let me know. Shout me. Come on, get me on Twitter, and I'll uh, I'll do some recording. You saw a little bit. You you can mark me. I've, I haven't got any kind of um, what's it called assessment criteria, but I can, if I can create a rubric, <laughs> if I can create a rubric, then you guys can mark me according to some uh, some assessment criteria. What's this? Uh, do you know what? The thing is, if I'm honest with you, right, everyone's talking about my singing now. Genuinely, so the way it used to work, so I, I did used to sing quite a lot. Um, like with theatre school as a youngster, and then I did a little bit like on, on YouTube, etc. But then I got to a point when I was like, ugh, um, I'm not actually going to make it as a singer. Why? I don't know. I just didn't, I couldn't bother. I didn't think, I, the odds weren't in my favour. So shout out to the Hunger Games. The odds were not in my favour. So I thought, well, every, there's so many good singers out in the world and most don't make it. So it's le- there's the chance of me making it hashtag big is very unlikely. So I thought, let me, just, let me just keep that in the background as a hobby and focus on something that I know I've got more chance of first getting into and secondly, having a more chance of having a, a, a big impact and looking back on my life and feeling like I've done something to be proud of. So yeah, so I put apart the singing thing and just kind of did it casually. When I was in Manchester for a little while, I did some... There was a guy that played the the guitar, so we did a few kind of duets and stuff. Um, used to go around the the pub circuit every now and again. Well, not even pub circuit, open mic circuit is a better way of putting it. I didn't do pubs. Karaoke is my best friend. So if everyone, anyone has a karaoke night, please invite me. I don't have to know your friends. Just give me an opportunity to sing. <laughs> karaoke, um, that's kind of my, that's my bag at the moment. Um, but yeah. So don't wait, Miss McMath says, don't waste your voice, Khalil. You've got, a, you've got a voice, use it. Use it. I do use it. I use it at school. And one of the, that's the great thing about school is it's one of the only professions where if you have, if you have a hobby of some kind, there is a chance that you'll be able to continue that hobby in, hobby in some shape or form during school, whether that's, I don't know, starting a club or for me, I do an enrichment. I do an activity with kids around street dance because I do a lot of street dance or used to street dance in my in my younger years, my greener years. And then I've done singing in my previous school. I used to, we have a, a school staff band and I've done songs with, I've got involved with the choir in the past. Like, so school's a great place if you do have, if you've got any kind of extra hobbies or whatever else, school's one of the best jobs to allow you to continue that hobby um, and not feel like it gets in the way. So yeah, well, that's one of the best things about um What's this? <laughs> um, Sobia says, TT Radio Factor every Sunday. <laughs> listen, don't tempt me. Give, uh, listen, this is, the, this is the recording mic. This is the mic I used to do my songs on on YouTube. 
Um, so this is this is a good quality mic. I used to use it's got my pop filter and everything, so I can do my. I've used to practice with my Peter Piper pop to pick of pickle peppers or whatever it is. Picked a something. We're going off on the biggest tangent. I blame you. It's the biggest tangent. I hope you're enjoying it because I am, <laughs> but it's not what I was supposed to be talking about. Um, then we've got uh, Leon saying I can't sing at all, but love a karaoke. I'm here for the I'm here for the away day. Um, yeah, listen, karaoke when it's done by people that can't sing uh, is funny. It's banter. It's hilarious. I've got a lot of time for people with that confidence after a few beverages, a few apple juices um, to get up and just know they can't sing, but just go full hell for leather at it. I rate that so highly. Um, yeah. And then we've got, what's this? Graham Collins saying, the many skills of Khalil. How can we make these work for radio? Um, Miss McMath says, Fab, you're still using your voice. Mouth's in. Sobia, you got two people up for it. Um, and then... Leon said, if you can talk, you can sing. Some folk just sing better than others. <laughs> True. Um, I've heard a lot of people say everyone can sing. Everyone, I think everyone's got the potential to hold a tune. But sing well, I don't, I don't agree. Um, maybe that's me being controversial. I don't think that every single person in the world could be taught to sing well. I believe you could be taught to hold a tune. And that just means that hear a note, sing along in tune, blah, blah, blah. But to actually sing well... I'd, I think, unfortunately, well, I don't know. Maybe I'm just being controversial. I just don't think you can, everyone, you can go from being like tone deaf to sounding like, I was going to say Beyonce, but you know who's better singing than Beyonce? Jennifer Hudson. Let me put it out there. Let me put it out there. Jennifer Hudson's a better singer than Beyonce. So um, I don't think you can go from being tone deaf to then being able to sing like Jennifer Hudson over a number of years. I don't think it's possible, personally. Maybe that's just my, that's just my opinion on it. Um, yeah, Miles, she's, she's phenomenal phenomenal i can't even describe how amazing her voice is um and the fact that she was just going about her business before what was it uh, the american what was it called who america's got no it was america's got talent was it pop idol how did she come to fame i don't know um pop idol yeah america there we go american idol thank you um yeah the fact you can just stump like you've just got this talent not even a talent gift and i hate using the word gift but i just feel like how else? Because you, you don't train. I don't know. I don't know how people can just be get to the age of, I don't know, about seven, eight, six, and just have a voice. I don't know how you get there, but I'm trying to get my son to have a voice. I just sing at him. Is that how you get? I, I assume that's how you get someone to be able to sing. You just sing at them. And he does like, he makes up his own tunes. His, his, his original tune goes like this. <clears throat> this is my son's original tune. It goes like this. Kiki, how Kiki, how Kiki. That's his original. That is an original. Let me copyright that right now so no producers um, get on it. So that is an original. That is my son's tune. No one has sung this tune to him. Just one day he was getting his nappy change and he started just going, Kiki, and very rhythmically. And I was like, he's going to be a superstar. Superstar. Um, but yeah, so that's my, um, what's this? My oldest loves singing. He's never been able to hold a note. And, but your youngest came out singing. That's the thing. Like, I don't, like, how? Is it a part of the brain? Is it genetic? I genuinely don't know. And also, the, the children of singers, maybe I'm just making a bold, sweeping statement here, more often than not can also sing. But is that because their parent or parents sing at them, they just hear it a lot? Or is it genetic? I don't know. Where are the scientists? Is there, a gen is there some sort of gene to do with your ability to mimic sounds? Because that's what singing is, surely. So, I don't know. Do some research. Someone do some research. I'll make it a homework task. Do some research. 
get it back to me. I'll give you some merits and some some positive points if you manage to come back with some research on whether being able to sing is genetic or not. Um, wow, what a tangent. Oh, my word. So then we've got Miss McMaps is saying, I started singing in church and then getting him involved in some sort of choir or something will be a good place to start. Yeah, I think so. Um, just getting him around music and hearing people sing surely is the best way to start. Anyways, wowzers, this has been a tangent city today, boy. An absolute tangent. Miss McMaps is going on saying, I think it might be genetic. Every family member of mine can sing or play an instrument. Um, yeah, do you know, I feel like it must be in genes. Um, must be. Must be. This is my theory, but I don't have any proof. Okay. That has been the biggest tangent. Anyone else going to say about singing? We're going to move on. Seema, you've just... Seema, welcome. You've missed an entire... I don't know what you've missed. You've missed a whole bunch of um, stuff in the chat. A whole bunch of stuff going on this Sunday afternoon. Uh, you missed me singing. You missed my my son's um, original rendition. I did a rendition of that. Um, we will get back to talking about Black History Month and some articles I found, but we've been on a massive tangent. So, right. So I found an article. Let's get back to the bread and butter. But if anyone in the comments takes off on a tangent, we'll go back on a tangent again. But I found an article on Tez, as always, which I think is to do with what Leon and, and Miss McMaths are saying, everyone else. And it was called Why We Need to Make Black History Month Last All Year. Um, and it says Black History... And this was in 2020. And it says Black History Month has helped draw attention to forgotten histories, which I think is its one of its main purposes. It's a way to draw attention to things that people have forgotten about or just never been taught. Wow, my voice just broke. <clears throat> or just never been taught. But then this person saying, now it's time to integrate those histories into mainstream. And that was in 2020. And so this was, of course, this article was written during the kind of the, the height of the Black Lives Matter movements and so on and so forth. And all the stuff that all the kind of systemic racism that has we know has existed for ages, but the spotlight was being shone on it again and racial inequality and stuff like that. So what this person's saying, they did a bit of... So then they were saying, yeah, why anti-colonial, anti-racist activism is not new? Of course it's not new. It's been around for decades upon decades upon decades. Anti-racist activism and anti-colonial activism has been around for yonks. But as this person said, it gave it kind of reignited momentum. Last year gave it another push with George Floyd and everything else happened. I'm not going back into that. Um, so what this article goes on to say, the next kind of heading is that black history is British history. And that's of course the case. And it says, oh, Black History Month was started in 1987. There you go. By someone called Akiyaba Adesebo. And this is a Ghanaian born person. And Adesebo was inspired by a, a similar initiative in the US and wanted to spur others to celebrate black identity and the achievements of African countries. I have learned something I didn't know that it was um, in, started by, oh, it was 1987, by a Ghanaian-born Akiaba Adesebo. If you didn't know that and just found out, you're welcome. Um, and also, let me, just one thing for me, I'm going to be really picky. I don't like when people um, use the word black in a piece of writing and don't, and then if you're talking about a type of people, and don't give it a capital B. Person, and I do this, but just for the record, I do the same with white. I do the same with any kind of ethnic identity. I need to, you need to put some respect on its name. Um, so yeah, that's just me. That's just something on a side note. 
when I talk about white people, black people, Asian people, every type of people, if I'm talking about an identity of a person by reference, using a color as a reference, then I make sure I capitalize the first letter and I put some respect on it. That's just me. Um, I think it should be done, but I know it's not the norm. I don't think it's, um, I don't, I feel like it's definitely not a kind of grammatical norm. Um, people always use a lowercase, not always. A lot of people use a lowercase when you talk about white, black, Asian, whatever, every kind of creed. But it, yeah, I agree. It should be, it's a proper, of all the nouns, this is the most proper. <laughs> Can we be real about this? Do you know what I mean? Um, so Leon saying, I think Leon maybe didn't realise that it was 1987. So he said, OMG, 1987. That was a year before we got the national curriculum. This could have been embedded from then. If it were people's priority, yes, could have been. So someone has decided we need a whole month dedicated to recognising Black history in 1987. At that time, the people that were overseeing the national curriculum, um, it I just wouldn't have been there high upon their priority list, I imagine. Either way, so then this article goes on. So I'm teaching, I'm, I'm disseminating knowledge and wisdom this Sunday afternoon. And then it goes on and saying, um, over the years, having this designated month has ensured that many of us acknowledge, learn and celebrate black history. They should use a capital B. I'm not gonna do that all the time, but they should have done. They've not done it. It annoys me. Either way, because, um, yeah. However, some might argue that specifying a month for black history not only prevents us from diversifying the curriculum, but also reinforces a misconception that black history is somehow different and separate from our collective history. Interesting. Remember, I'm reading something at the moment. So this is an article. So I'll reiterate that. They said, some might argue that specifying a month for black history is essentially divisive in, its, in itself, in and of itself, and it prevents us from diversifying the curriculum, some might argue. Surely it should be, we, it should propel. It should be a propellant of diversification. If you need to say, we're giving you guys a month, you've got a month to realise that this is a, this is a serious thing. Get it sorted. That's how I see it anyway. Obviously, it hasn't happened over the years. But maybe some are arguing that because we because we do pigeonhole it, obviously not all, there is Black History taught outside of October. I know that. But because we do dedicate a month to it, maybe in doing so, is that an inhibitor of the curriculum being diversified? I hope not. I hope not. But maybe some argue that it does. And also some argue that making it, dedicating a month to it, some people interpret as putting black history as being something separate when we know it's all intrinsically linked. But it's clearly not that intrinsically linked because years ago, no one was talking about it. So it can't be that intrinsically linked. Either way, um, that's this is the article. That's This is my kind of responses to it. Um, yeah, Mao saying, yes, I agree, Khalil. Um, it was needed in the past, but now we need to diversify the curriculum. It needs to be a golden thread throughout school life, not just for one month. Agreed. Surely that was the aim. Surely that the person, if I, if we could speak to Akiaba Adesebo and say, what was your aim? What was your vision for Black History Month and its purpose? Surely he would say something like, so that it's ingrained into society's teachings about history, that we actually realize that British history and global history, Black people were a part of it. Surely that would have been his vision. So massive, oh my God, let's get him on. But someone Google, where is he now? Where is he now? I don't got a, a CI, not a CI, a PI. That's a private investigator. Yeah, I don't got a PI. Can we, well, is Google the, today's PI? Joe, while I'm talking, let me just Google this guy. Is he a, I hope he's still alive. Um, Akyaba Adesebo, must be alive. 
CIA. Well, I'm talking about no. What I'm talking about is on. Do you know those police programs? They always have private investigators who go and like follow a target to just get some info on them. They do it off the books always. I'm talking about those. So where is this person now? Uh, according to Wikipedia, he was born. He was born in 1950. He's still alive. Yeah, yeah. I think he's, I don't know where he is at the moment. Um, I'm literally reading something at the moment, so I'm, this is poor radio by me, but it's also live. I can't know. I don't know where it is. Someone Google while we're talking. Where is this person? Where is Akiaba Adeseba at the moment? Born in 1950. Make him 70. Should I imagine, like, in terms of um, probability, like he'd still be alive. Um, Google, do your job, and everyone else, do some do some Googling, please. Let's find out. If we can get him on, that will be phenomenal. I'll, do, I'll, I'll change my plans. Next show, we'll just get him on. Anyways, that's something for, for afterwards. So this article goes on and it says, um, again, this is someone's argument that divorcing black history from the rest of Britain's history is misleading and disingenuous. And it leads us to have a blinkered understanding of British history at large. Black people and white Britons were interacting long before colonialism, before race was a concept and stories of Africans as uncivilized peoples were circulated to justify the slave trade. A, I'm not about to say amen but let me not make it religious. But um, so yeah, this last bit was saying that black people and white Britons were long before colonialism, black people and white Britons were interacting before we knew that there were work, before words were created to differentiate between us based on the level of pigmentation in our skin. Um, and also long before any kind of misleading or just racialized stories of Africans being uncivilized, um, Long before. So then what this person's saying is essentially Black History Month, yes, is is great, but we need to make sure we do it in a way. So if you understand the real history, I guess, and not feel like, like I said at the start, that black people were just popped out at some point in history and just straight into straight into being slaves. Like, you know what I mean? And the problem is if you go based on purely what you're taught in school, you would think that. No, not nowadays, caveat. Back according to my own educational background that is what i would think if i didn't outsource my knowledge when i got a little bit older um mal still saying oh yeah massively of course it's a massive social construct but we've all kind of bought into it now i guess massive social construct and it's been one of the worst well, i say worst it's unified us it's unified people also it's divisive it's both isn't it um would i want to go to a world where we didn't identify anyone by their race i don't know you know i'm just thinking i'm thinking out loud at the moment would it could i would i click my fingers and say we no longer talk about who's black who's white who's asian who's um i would say black white and asian there's a lot more than just black white and asian but either way who different um ethnicities and races i should say races more specifically in this case not just ethnicities would i want to go to a world just click my fingers i don't know um yeah, Mao's asking me questions. Mao, listen, answer your own questions. <laughs> Mao's saying, um, what is its purpose except... Well, that's the thing. It was created to be hierarchical, wasn't it? It was created to um, say that... Well, to enforce... To know, to legitimise and to justify white supremacy. That's what history tells me anyway, and I've done my own research. That's why it's created, to say that we are, we are more... In, well, we'll say we white people were more intelligent or whatever else purely based off the color of their skin and if the darker your skin was the more unintelligent you were and that was the theory that it was pre, pre, preface preface yeah prefaced on 
And then people are surprised that we're still up in arms about it because people have kids and it's passed on from generation to generation. Shock horror, you've got people still in this day and age that think that they're superior just because of their, the colour of their skin. It's a bunch of nonsense. And then people are like surprised when you tell them it exists. <laughs> Anyways, um, the next heading in this, we haven't got too long. My God, time has flown. So the next part of this article goes on and the next heading is called Whitewashing Black Stories from the Curriculum. Um, so it goes on and it says, this is for, it feels like a history lesson. It says, in fact, black people have been living in Britain for more than 1,700 years. That's a hyperlink to another article. I'm not going to click on it, but I imagine it's got the source there. Before the Germanic tribes, the Angles and the Saxons, from whom the English were originally descended, arrived. So it's saying that there were black people in Britain for more than 1,700 years. As far as I was concerned, based on my own understanding, black people in the UK didn't arrive until Windrush. <laughs> You wouldn't like, you wouldn't think, genuinely, obviously, you wouldn't think that there were that many black people in the UK before they all came over on the on the Empire Windrush on the Caribbean. And if you're African, you came over, in general, you came over, on average, a little bit later. Um, and then before that, there was no black people in, in England. <laughs> that's what you would think, genuinely. That's what some people would think if you were, if you were ignorant and only had the narrow focus from the curriculum, you would potentially think that. And it's crazy. Um, <laughs> but it's just, I said it. I said it at an assembly. Was I think it was last year. I was talking like this in an assembly on Black History Month last year, and I was just speaking really frankly about exactly what I'm saying to you guys about what you would think about black people based on the current curriculum or the curriculum that I had growing up. I should say, not the current one. Um, yeah, Mouse has been here since the Romans, indeed, indeed. Um, but I wouldn't know this. Wouldn't know this. Anyways, it goes on in saying that. Yeah, the next, you guys have read this article clearly because it says people of African heritage were living across Britain during the Roman times. Um, the beachy head lady who was thought to have died in the third century AD is believed to have been of sub-Saharan African heritage and a community of North Africans are known to have guarded a section of Hadrian's Wall also in the third century AD. So basically, we've been here. Africans have been here for centuries upon centuries upon centuries. It just wouldn't have been ever brought to people's attention. Of course, well, I don't know if they were, I'm assuming they weren't the majority, but they were here. You just don't really see the images. Um, these were not isolated examples of immigration. There have been many Black Britons since, and it's saying Black people have contributed to all aspects of our societies, from science to the arts, democracy, religion. Um, but in all too many cases, their stories have been whitewashed from our curriculum as a result of systemic racism, which sprang from Britain's role as a colonial power. Again, if you have just joined, I'm reading an article on Tez, which is called Why We Need to Make Black History Month Last All Year. And it's deep. It's, it's well written. Um, and I think it's worth a little read. If you're, if you do like me, if you like just understand more, I think ignorance is fine as long as you admit that you're ignorant and you, and you have a kind of a willingness to learn. I think then being ignorant is absolutely fine. We always use ignorant as a, as a cuss, but ignorance is just surely just a lack of knowledge. So if you're ignorant of something, and you know you are, then go learn about it. And that's what I'm doing right now. Um, and then it's going on to say that when we engage with black history, we cannot ignore Britain's role in colonialism and the kidnapping, displacement and enslavement of more than 3 million Africans. We cannot ignore how this plunder and inhumanity has entwined British history, that of Africa and of, of the descendants of those who were enslaved and displaced. Their lives have been shaped by our collective history. And we cannot ignore how the Britain we know now its buildings and its institutions were created with the money from the slave trade. 
Indeed, much of our society today is built on the legacy of the slave trading era. Our financial and societal infrastructure continues to benefit from the profits made from African lives and retains the systemic elements that assume the superiority of the white person. Wowzers. Wowzers, wowzers, wowzers. This article, this is the first time I'm reading this article. I found it before the show and I thought, I just want to go through it kind of live and then you can kind of get uh, my honest kind of, but that's, it's well written and it's deep. And it's one of those things that you read, you're like, it's one of those undeniable articles. Um, because I think a lot of people, a lot of people that aren't that well versed in um, the import, haven't really thought deep about the knock-on effect. Everyone thinks, oh, it's all rosy now. Everyone thinks, oh, it's all fine. Like, oh, you got black people in unis and stuff. Like, oh, it's all good. But I think what people never failed to, not never, some people, they don't think about the cascading effects from generation to generation to generation, wealth to wealth to wealth to wealth, built on the back of something that was inhumane. If we're talking about purely slavery, of course, black people had a history before that. But that's the thing. These are conversations that we need to be having with with young people and adults, but young people, like some people, unfortunately, some adults are too entrenched and too hard-headed and too set in their ways, don't want to hear it. Maybe they're not the target audience, but surely with the young people from all backgrounds, they need to understand that not just in terms of black history, but other people's histories as well, um, colonialism and the impact of it, we are still benefiting from today. And if you're happy, if you agree and think colonialism was a wonderful thing to, to invade and whatever else, um, then cool. But if you think that colonialism was bad and maybe not that humane, to then realize that we're still benefiting from it will make people think a little bit twice um, in certain situations. It's a deep Sunday. It's a deep Sunday. There are some comments in the chat. Um, Mao said it was black regiments that liberated France, but that was whitewashed out. Um, Leon, Leon asked, was that in World War II? Mao said, yes. Um, Leon said, wow. And then Mao said, the French didn't want it out there. The black people helped their liberation. Crazy, man. It's actually, it's actually wild. Just imagine this stuff happening like today. Maybe it does. Who knows? But imagine it like this day and age. We know, oh, no, we can't. Let's not talk about their contribution. We can't allow people to ever think that someone that wasn't white was was at all useful. <laughs> like, it's mad. It's so mad. It's so mad. Thank you to those that have liked and shared the show, by the way. I hope you've enjoyed this show. We've got about 50 minutes left. I'm going to keep going in this article. I think this article is, is forming a lot of base of discussion. And it's a powerful article. Like I said, it's on Tez. Um, called Why We Need to Make Black Brit Hit Wow. Why We Need to Make Black History Month Last All Year. Um, I think it's a nice article to give to kids and they can speak about it, discuss it. Um, kids of all creeds. Especially in the in the schools where kids there isn't much diversity. Surely that needs to be one of the places we we get um we consciously do things like this with. Anyways, moving on. Um the next heading is called, and it's the last heading of the article, and it's called Redefining Our Relationship with the Past. Um, and it says, when we are thinking about black history and how to approach Black History Month, we need to begin by acknowledging that black history is not separate from British history. British history contains the stories of white people and black people, all of whom have had their paths shaped by the actions of our ancestors. Drawing our history along race lines keeps us stuck in a paradigm of division, separateness and othering. So when we kind of divide our histories into this is British history. Now this is black history. And then on Tuesday, we're going to do some more British history. And on Wednesday, we're going to flick back and do some black history. If we do that, it's very divisive. Um, to move forward, this is a person continuing on to move forward. We need to re-examine and redefine our relationship with our past. 
as with so many things, how we educate ourselves and our young people is critical to this journey. While we continue to celebrate Black History Month to ensure that Black voices are not silenced and achievements are not ignored, um, reducing the risk of these stories being forgotten, we can simultaneously find ways to embed Black history into our curriculum throughout the year. Schools across the country are planning events, assemblies and lessons that foreground the achievements of Black Britons. The questions for all of us now is how to use Black History Month as a platform to drive sustainable change in the curriculum. Who is this person? I want to find them on Twitter. We could have had them in the conversation as well. This person is Becky Martin, um, B-E-K-I. Interesting spelling of Becky. B-E-K-I, Martin. Um, then, where are we up to? Last couple bits. This isn't just the work of the history department, sciences, the arts, languages, every subject educator has a responsibility to both diversify and decolonize what they teach, to think about the stories that are traditionally told and those that are ignored. Everyone's responsibility to diversify and decolonize. Decolonizing the curriculum. You see that a lot on the internet and on the, on the kind of social, everything else, powerful. We need to decolonize the curriculum. This means considering where the curriculum can be enriched by including the contribution of black people, as well as reflecting on how colonization and our telling of it has continued to sideline and negate the black experience. Decolonization will be hard to achieve, but if we are willing to take on this challenge, perhaps we can now collectively work to ensure our curriculum tells a fuller version of our history so that future generations understand the story of the past and recognize the value of an inclusive, more just, society boom that is a good article that is a very good article um wowzers leon's in the chat saying just an fya the google doodle um is about una marson who was a jamaican writer and was the first black woman employed by bbc during world war ii um i what we mm, what we talking about i feel like i don't know what that's in relation to I don't know if that's something to what I said. Just an, oh, maybe just an FIA. Google Doodle is about Unimartins. Okay, fair enough. I don't know who she is. Again, I'm ignorant of it. I need to do some more research. I need to learn more. Um, what time is it? 10 minutes ago. Wowzers. That's a great article. I've enjoyed reading that article. The next kind of little bits um, is I found another article that speaks about kind of four moments to share with your class. And one of the moments it talks about is, um, well, the four moments are, William Cuffey, I say moments, this is a person. Um, Mary Smith, no, wow, Mary Prince. It's, and then it goes Windrush and also Notting Hill Carnival. I think it's great. I think it'd be great to teach. You know, I might even do that in my assembly. The history of Notting Hill Carnival, I think will be a great thing to focus on because nowadays Notting Hill Carnival has become very, it's a, it's a massive, massive, but it's a populist event, isn't it? It's, it's, um, it's a global occasion and um is visited by multitudes of people from so many different backgrounds it's wonderful to see so many different backgrounds come to carnival but is the whole history of carnival has it been diluted it's a genuine question i'm asking i don't have the answer in your opinion has not in carnival been diluted um do you know the people know the history of it or is it just a big party in the streets where people dress up and and wine and and whatever else and enjoy the music and the food but do people know the history of it probably not where's it taught it's not taught in school so like where's it it's not taught anywhere but for such a for what is it is it europe's biggest carnival must be Europe for europe's biggest carnival the history of which isn't really taught um in schools 
So this per this article is saying that we should teach the history of Notting Hill Carnival as well. Um, so that kids grow up understanding its history um, and not just see it as a, a big old, just a big old party in August bank holiday where you get to drink and eat and party on the streets. Because I think as for the young generation, that's what that's all it is, which is great, but be even better if they understood where it came from. Um, nice. Yeah, that's, I'm glad. So Mal's saying taught in certain schools in West London. Um, I'm glad because obviously that's in the locality. I've never taught in a school in that kind of area, but I'm glad it's taught. Um, but there are, we can, I, we just don't know. I'm asking the question. It'd be great if I had loads of different teachers from loads of different um, places around the capital and also up north where you've got different carnivals, Manchester Carnival, Leeds Carnival, loads of different carnivals. Um, is it always taught? Don't know. Is it their priority? Probably not. But I do wonder if it is taught. Um, yeah, and then Leon's saying, people think, yeah, well, Leon, listen, don't get me, people think, Leon's saying, people think Carnival's a Jamaican thing when it's a Trini thing. Um, so Trini shortened from Trinidad, essentially. Um, even then, I'm not going to act like I know the full, I don't know the full history of Not Hill Carnival. Never been taught it. But I definitely know it's not a Jamaican thing. But people often, you know, people think, when they think of the, the Caribbean, all they think of is Jamaica. Jamaica has been like the kind of, the front runner, the stallion of the Caribbean. You're either, do you know when people say stuff like, when people do things, um, I've seen comedy shows in the kind of black community called Africa versus Jamaica. And I've just thought that's a bunch of shit. It's, it's a bunch of nonsense. It's absolutely ridiculous that the entire continent um, versus one island in the Caribbean is a bunch of nonsense. Um, people often think, yeah, Jamaica is the Caribbean. The Caribbean is so much more than just Jamaica. But it, it's, it's mad. It's mad. Comedy shows. First of all, don't get me started on divisive comedy shows. I don't like comedy shows where they're just based on, I'm going to tell, I'm going to just stand up and then all I'm going to do is cuss a different um, geographical region where black people also reside. I'm going to cuss them. And then, and then in an hour's time, someone from a different diaspora is going to cuss another one. That's a, that's, I hate that. Hate it, hate it, hate it. Um, only time I want to see a versus in the black community is if it's Afrobeats versus Soka. Then I'm happy with it. We'll go with that. I'm more than happy. It's not an actual cut. No one's cussing. It's, it's just a, it's a community thing. But when they just cuss each other, I hate that, man. It really, really hurts my heart. Um, it's not used. That's something that's not used. It's divisive, man. We have a hard enough time, and this is what I was speaking about on Twitter, and I'm, this is the kind of conversation I have with young students in my school. We have a hard enough time of having to counter and work against um, whether it's systemic racism or just racist people in society. We have a hard enough time battling against that to then be divisive within our own community and putting each other down by refueling or reigniting certain stereotypes that people have of us anyway. And we're just going to tell each other that because it's banter. Nonsense. Nonsense, nonsense, nonsense. And the amount of conversations I've had with young black kids recently about it. Um, because, yeah, that's the, the, the humor at the moment is to cuss each other about different things that racist people stereotype about us. And they think it's funny, whether it's like, I don't know, from absent fathers to colorism to different things that a lot of, and it's not just a thing that affects black people, by the way. I can only speak about it from my own experience because... I am one, <laughs> but I know it's something that happens in a lot of communities, but it just hurts my heart um, when 13, 12, 11 year olds are interacting in a way where they just insult each other in a way that if someone that wasn't black said it, they'll be up in arms. They'll be outraged if someone that wasn't black said these things. 
but it's all right for them to say it to each other and then laugh it off. Nah, not for it. So um, anytime I come across anything like that, I stamp, I stamp it out and I speak to them like I'm one of their uncles. Um, I literally, I put my teacher hat to one side and I speak to them just as a grown, older black person who's been through the world for many more years than them and they need to hear. Because so, they're not going to hear it from us and they might not hear it at home all the time because at home don't hear them interacting with, with their peers. Then who are they going to hear it from? Influencers on social media that they can't actually interact with. Ugh. Yeah, mate, it is, it's, it's, uh, um, yeah, people are talking in the chat. So be saying in 2021 in educated society, it's shameful. It is shameful. It's shameful. But where's it coming from? It's, it's must be learned behavior. Where's it? I don't know where it's, are they hearing it? They must be hearing it somewhere, whether it is just from our comics or whatever else, where are they getting it from? Social media, they must be hearing it somewhere. And to think it's funny and they must see someone interacting that way and laughing it off. And then they think, oh, that's how we interact. Cool. Let me just imitate that in school and laugh it off. Um, and then, yeah, Leon saying, yeah, it's the worst. Had to do the same thing about, yeah, Caribbean youth disrespecting African kids um, and just cussing each other. It's, oh, man, it really hurts me. Um... <laughs> Leon said the uncle hat stays in the back pocket. It's true. So by that, I mean just as a wise older relative, obviously, just a, a wise older relative who will speak to them, speak to them in a way that they realize I'm not talking to you as a teacher right now. I'm talking to you as an elder person who understands the world more than you do. And if I don't do it, who will? Because no disrespect to any of my colleagues that aren't black. But I tell you now, if they came across the same situation, they're not going to sit them down and have a conversation about how black people interact, are they? They're not going to do it. I wouldn't expect them to. So if I'm not doing it, then no one's going to do it. So I think if you are, especially if you are in, in, in the UK, an ethnic minority in a, in a school, and then you've got kids of the same ethnicity as you doing things that in your heart you know isn't right, then I implore you, I implore you to pull them up on it. I implore you to pull them up on it. Because if, you got, if you're not doing it, no one's going to do it. No one's going to do it. Mad. Um, <laughs> I told you about my TED Talk, Leo, didn't I? I told you about the TED Talk. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just seen Sobia. That's literally what I said. So I think it happens in every culture, not just one way, but it's up to us to educate our family and friends. Agreed. It does. It's definitely not just like a black thing. I can just only speak about the black experience. But I remember going into school as a kid when I was in my secondary school and there was like, there was, there was Indian and Pakistani and people from Bangladesh. And they were all just, they were using the racist word that begins with P, just interchange, like they were just calling each other that. And I was just like, and I remember being at the time being like, this just doesn't seem, this didn't sit well with me. I was about 14, 15, 16. They were just using it as a joke. And I was thinking, if I just, and I would never, I would never dream of it. But if I just used that same terminology to them, I'd hopefully get what well, I'd be seen to, um, would essentially be the case. But it's just been, yeah, it's just, I don't know where it comes from. I don't know where it comes from, where young people, is it media? Is it music? Is it, is it learned from their elders? Has it just been passed down from generation to generation? I don't know. Is it just a rite of passage that young people go through until they get to, 18, 19, 20, 21, and they wake up and realize that's not the way you have to interact. Was I the same at that age? I don't know. I don't think I was, if I'm honest. I don't remember thinking it was funny to cuss people about stereotypes that were harmful. But I've also got a bad memory, so I don't know if I was that kind of person, but I hope that I wasn't. Um, I hope that I wasn't. Either way, wow. Do you know what? On that note, on that note, let me leave it there. 
um, because I was about to go back into... Do you know what? No, lies. Not in El Carnival. <laughs> so this last little bit, it says in this article, Black History Month is the time to celebrate diversity and promote unity. Um, if you're looking for a way to bring some West Indian food, culture, music into your classroom, why not explore the origins of Notting Hill Carnival? Um, apparently, the story be- begins with someone called Claudia Jones and her London Caribbean Carnival, which set out to use dancing and partying to bring people together and heal the social wounds left by the racially charged Notting Hill riots. Even I, after this show, am probably going to do some Googling and learn about the history of Notting Hill Carnival because I don't know the full history of it. Nowhere near. As far as I'm, I know, obviously, it's not just a party, but the full history, um, I don't know. I know there was, there was stuff on TV recently um, where it was about, I can't remember the name of the blooming program now, but there were some programs on recently that was all to do with that kind of time period. There we go, small lax. Thank you very much, Leon. Um, I know that came out and there was dealing with that period of time. And it's a learning curve for so many of us. How many older black folk were sitting there with their kids and forced them to watch it? How many non-black people were watching it? I don't know. Um, but that whole series was powerful. But then, do you know what the worst thing was? We had small acts and then it got, well, not even the worst thing. People still criticised. People still criticised it. So people are trying, man. And all you can, you get. And then people still criticise it as not still still not being um, an honest representation, which you have every right to criticise. It's just a shame that people are trying and then still there are some people saying, nah, it's not good enough. But at least there are people trying. Um, long may it continue for every um, minoritised community in the UK. Um, more power to all of us. Um, and also more power to everyone who are allies of the of the communities. And on that note, thank you very, very much for listening to my Sunday Lunch Show. Um, if you've enjoyed it and you think it's something that will be useful for other people to hear or whatever else, please do share. Um, I think my shows are fairly popular, which is quite nice. I never know who listens to them, but the numbers are all right. So I guess some people seem to enjoy it. Um, I'll be talking more about this on Twitter, most likely. But thank you to everyone that's tuned in. Unfortunately, the closing music hasn't loaded correctly. So I'm going to do my transition music and I'm going to bounce. So thank you very much. I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Um, It's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed the show thoroughly. Have a good rest of your week and enjoy life back at school. How many get-ups? Two weeks to go? Is it two weeks to go? Was it last week? Is it our last week of school? Someone tell me, please. When is half term? <laughs> when is half term? Because I deliberately don't look at the calendar because I feel like it's ages away, but I feel like it's coming up. Two weeks from now, right? Okay, cool. I think that that's my instinct is two weeks from now. All the best, guys. I'll catch you next week. <laughs>